Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, offering Jesus-shaped perspectives and anchors for the soul. I'm your host, Jeremy Berg, and you can learn more about me and our ministry at kingdomharbor.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Well, we're looking at episode number five today from the Chosen series. I want to thank you for coming along on this journey. Again, it's not too late to get caught up if you're some episodes behind or to invite a friend, a neighbor to check out this series, which is a really powerful display of, of uh, the Gospels, the life of Jesus and his uh, the way that he impacts lives then and now. Well, episode five is called The Wedding Gift, and uh, it's all about the wedding in Cana. And it's a powerful episode where Jesus is uh, hes contemplating going public at last. And you, you get a sense of Jesus' entire life has been moving toward a particular moment where once he steps into the flow of, of his divine destiny, there's no turning back. And the episode begins with a uh, little boy Jesus left behind in Jerusalem, and uh, and that little exchange with his distraught mother, saying, "Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?" And uh, Mary saying, "It's not time yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this. It's not time yet." Well, then you fast forward to this moment where. In this episode, it's Mary who kind of shoves Jesus into his divine destiny. If not now, when, Jesus? Well, in the middle of watching the episode on Sunday night at 5 o'clock, which you can join us if you haven't yet, every Sunday at 5, we gather to watch this together in community and to let each episode lead us to the communion table. In the middle of the episode, my son... 10-year-old Peter leans over to me and says, Dad, did Jesus ever get married? And you know, this is one of those moments where sometimes what you think is the simplest question actually can become one of the most profound questions. Because my immediate answer was, well, no, Jesus Jesus never married, uh, as we think of marrying. Um, But then on a deeper level, Jesus' entire ministry, his entire vocation was to bring about a marriage between the triune God and his beloved bride, the church, a marriage between heaven and earth. And so I want to spend some time in this episode looking at the profound concept of covenant in the scriptures and uh, the idea of a Jewish wedding in particular. And how we see this language, this concept, behind so much of Jesus' ministry, if we have eyes to see. So a little word about betrothal in the ancient world. Um, we get engaged nowadays, and it's more of an informal sort of pledge. It may come with a ring, but it's not official until the wedding 
vows are spoken. In the Jewish world, uh, betrothal was a binding covenant um, that you enter into that then leads to um, an even more official um, marriage arrangement. But back in Jesus' day, um, it would typically happen, uh, a, a marriage would be arranged between one family and another, and uh, it would often happen between a young man in one village and uh, a young woman in a neighboring village. And they would work out an agreement, the parents, and then they would have a feast, a betrothal feast. They would come together, the two families, and it may be the case that this is the first time this couple has met. And um, so it's kind of like dating for one day. And then this sets into motion a one-year betrothal period, typically about a year, where the groom goes off back to his village to build a house for his future bride. Uh, which usually entailed building on a new room onto your father's house. And add another room as the family grows. Meanwhile, the bride in the other village would be doing a number of things to prepare to be a young wife, learning how to take care of a household and things like that. But another big part of this was she would spend the year preparing her dress Yes, the dress was a big part then as now. Well, a year would pass, and eventually there would come a day. And it seems like only the groom's father really knew the day and the hour that the wedding would take place. Everyone else is kept on edge to a certain degree. And then one day, uh, the father would say, today's the day. Get the attendance begin the procession and uh and what this that this brings a level of you need to be prepared you do not know the day or the hour when the father says today's the day the bridesmaids uh, attendants would need to quickly get things in order and to begin the procession and we have um we have stories throughout the Gospels of the uh, the virgins and the lamps, the you know, the uh, the bridesmaids and their lamps, and, and it's this parable of that they they didn't have enough oil for their lamps, and so when the moment came, they ran out of oil, and it wasn't good. And the message there is: be ready. You don't know the day or the hour when the Father says, "Now's the day," uh, so always be prepared. Well, they would come together for the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast, which we saw in this episode. And, and things would move forward and they would solidify um, the wedding vows in the sexual act and a new reality is born. Uh, a covenant has been cut, man and wife. So if we step back from this pattern and look at the gospel stories, what do we find? Well, we find John the Baptist, or Creepy John, as he's known in this series. Um, he kind of serves as the best man figure. He's preparing the way uh, for the groom. 
and uh, he very much says, "This isn't my day. Uh, this uh, here, here's the here's the man of the hour," and points to Jesus, the bridegroom. Now Jesus gets into trouble because he's always feasting. His his ministry is one of 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 feasting and parting and good times and smiles. Meanwhile, uh, this throws people off guard. The disciples of John, we see, are, are fasting and praying. And meanwhile, Jesus is partying with tax collectors and hanging around wedding feasts. And this gets raised in Jesus. This comes up. And the answer seems to be, well, when the bridegroom is in the house on the scene, it's time for a wedding feast or a betrothal feast. It's not time for somber fasting. No, it's time for a jolly good time. It's time to let the wine flow. So what do we make of Jesus' um, endless feasting and his um, breaking of the mold in terms of being all about serious fasting? Well, my teacher, Paul Eddy, who is an expert on ancient Jewish covenants, says that when Jesus is going from town to town for three years, um, feasting, he's essentially saying uh, this is a three-year betrothal feast period. And he's going from town to town, um, inviting his uh, people He's looking for a bride, and he's inviting all of loyal Jews to become a part of the, the bride. And because these feasts either represent the wedding feast of the Lamb, but we know that that comes at the end. So that's not the feast that Jesus is sort of um, symbolizing in his ministry of feasting. It must be his betrothal feast. But it goes on not one day. It goes on for three years. And and every town he goes to, he's inviting others to come and, and be betrothed to him, the Messiah. Will we say yes or will we say no? Jesus is looking for a bride. So, And then things really start to come to a head when you get to John 14 and you get this this exchange between Jesus and the disciples where he says, now, I got to go. I got to go back to the father, to the father's house. Um, But I'm going to prepare a house for you. Um, Many, many rooms. And then I'm going to come back to get you, my bride. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is going away to prepare a room for his bride. But since his bride is not one person, but a composite bride of all who say yes to the Messiah, it's a, it's a house, a father's house with many, many rooms. And he's going to prepare it. And then there will come a day where the father will say, it's time. It's time to go get your bride. And Jesus will come. In the meanwhile, that's why the whole story rushes into Revelation 
And the last word of the of Revelation at the end of our Bible is, is the bride crying out, come, and the groom saying, I'm coming quickly. So Jesus has been building, building a house for his bride for 2,000 years. And in the meantime, what are we, his bride, supposed to be doing to get ready? Well, if Jesus has been spending 2,000 years of our betrothal period, getting the house ready for the wedding and our marriage, what are we supposed to be doing as the bride? Well, it's something about that wedding garment, that wedding dress we're supposed to be preparing. The New Testament in the Gospels we, we hear of this wedding garment, white and pure. And what is it? It is, this dress was the righteous acts of the saints, we read. Righteous acts? This is our garment we are to put on? Well, we tend to think of righteous acts as individual acts of virtue. But really, in the, in the, the language, in the ancient idea in the scriptures of righteousness speaks more to right relationships than just arbitrary good deeds. Are we righteous in our relationships with one another? As Jesus has left his bride to prepare a dress so that we would be found pure and spotless when Jesus comes back for us. Um, a big part of this job is to make sure that the dress that we're making together, it's made up of right relationships, of covenant loyalty. It's the life of putting others ahead of ourselves. All the love one another's, all the one another's of the New Testament are the way that we, we knit together this beautiful garment together. But this is not my dress or your dress. This is our corporate collective dress that we are knitting together piece by piece as the church on earth. And this means that far from an individualistic faith of, of doing good, of honoring God, the life of the bride of Christ as we await the groom's return is one of learning to get along together, to be a unified body of Christ, to show the world the way of love, self-sacrifice, of putting others' preferences above our own. And this means we are deeply invested in each other's business because if the, if the groom returns and finds fault with your secret sins it's not your secret sins since your life and deeds in the body of christ are are woven together with my part of the dress your sins in some way contaminate my garment we are knit together in this life of faith in the community of faith and this is a eye-opening, radically un-American concept that this is not just about me 
and Jesus. It's about our collective witness, our dress, our garment that, that we wear as one church on earth. I hope you are getting a sense of the greatness of this calling to be Christ's bride. So what do we make of this? Jesus is going to come back for his bride. It's where the whole story is going. And um, we can also see that uh, the whole story of scriptures is one of a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, moving into relationship with uh, people who are covenant-breaking and so Jesus comes in the fullness of time to represent both partners in the covenant. You see, every covenant has two partners. And the mystery of salvation and redemption is that Jesus comes as the God-man to represent both God's side of the covenant and the human side of the covenant as he takes on human flesh. And so as the bride, Jesus, in our place, on our behalf, is tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and shows that where we, Israel, or Adam and Eve, fell into sin in the midst of temptation, Jesus passes the test for us. Jesus in human flesh lives my life as a faithful covenant keeper. And then Jesus dies my death for being a covenant breaker in my place. But Jesus also represents the God in this covenant, the groom, as he represents the triune love, the triune Godhead who longs to have a people for himself. You know, the Trinity it has often been made into an abstract theological concept, concept that seems to have no relevance to our life and to our, our faith. Yet, if you step back and you think of this big story we are a part of, we find that in the beginning, God was always loving, mutual, overflowing relationship of unity and diversity. The Father pouring out his love on the Son. The Son reflecting the love of the Father outward into the world. The Spirit as being the love that flows back and forth between the Father and the Son. Before God brought any angels or humans into existence, he was not a bored, abstract monad existing in isolation. He was the divine dance of the Trinitarian loving fellowship. And one day God said, we got to invite others into this dance. How can we keep this love, this mutuality, this back and forth of awesomeness to ourselves? We need to bring more into the dance. And so he created us 
Someone said that hum, human beings are born out of the laughter of the Trinity. And I love that. And God has always desired to have people who would freely choose to enter into this dance of the Trinitarian fellowship. And so in the end, friends, this whole thing, this whole life, this whole redemption history from creation through the fall through the long years of Israel wandering, failing, covenant breaking, and God redeeming, this whole story is ending to a big wedding dance, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you and I are called to long for that day, to prepare for that day. And in the meantime, to contemplate in all of its richness and unfathomability, the what it means to be the beloved of God, the bride of Christ. So yes, my son Peter, did Jesus ever get married? Well, yes, we are his bride. And he's coming back for us soon. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, and may we be ready with our garment ready and prepared. And thank you, Jesus, a thousand upon thousands of times for repairing our frayed garment, for bleaching it where we've stained it, so that we may be pure, spotless bride when you come. May we be ready. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening today. If you have been blessed by this episode, please share it with a friend. And we'll see you next time. God bless.